here in chapter four, there's this transition sort of away from the analogy to more of the, the accusations of what, what Israel is actually doing. And so because of all the abrupt changes that we're going to see through, through the rest of this book, the pastoral team has kind of pieced together some themes that, that uh, we want to cover. And, and that's kind of what I'm going to do. We're going to be walking through verses 1 to 6, sort of verse by verse. But I really want to focus in the theme of the knowledge of God. No, lack of knowledge of God. And my, my title today is just destroyed for lack of knowledge. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 4. It should be up on the screen. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For Yahweh has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. Hosea, in verse 1, calls the people of Israel to hear God's word. And this word is not as encouraging as last week's word, guys. In fact, we, we see kind of a courtroom scene set up where he's bringing accusation. And it gets even start, more startling when we see that Yahweh is speaking through this text in the first person, in, in most of it. So I, got, I want you guys to imagine yourself standing before the judge of all, Yahweh, the creator of the universe, and hear him speak these words. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Yahweh says to Israel, you are unfaithful to me. The love and faithfulness upon which I establish my covenant with you, is, it's nowhere to be found. Remember how I revealed myself to you at Sinai. He, he revealed himself as the Lord, the Lord, a God slow to anger, merciful and gracious, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Israel, you promised that same love to me but you have utterly failed to show, show that love back to me. What does it mean when he says there's no lack, or sorry, there's no knowledge of me in the land? This is a really interesting way to talk. I hope you don't talk to your friends or your wife like that. You have no knowledge of me in you or something. I don't know. We don't talk like that, right? Like we, we, would, we might unfortunately hear something more like, I feel like you don't know me. I feel, feel like you don't know me. I've heard that before. Um, that's a really, really hard and painful thing to hear, isn't it? Yahweh is saying to Israel, when he says, there's no knowledge of me anywhere, he's saying, you don't know me, Israel. You don't know me. You do not have relationship with me and you do not know what I love because you are not keeping the vows of the covenant. Verse 2 is a list of broken commands from the law. Ten commandments specifically showing all the ways that Israel has broken God's covenant. And here, th this knowledge that we're talking about, this lack of knowledge, it really can be seen in two senses. It's, it's absent in one that there is an ignorance of who God is completely, an ignorance of who he is and what he loves. This is objective knowledge of God. And number two, there's a lack of relationship or personal knowledge of God. 
We'll focus more on this in verse six, but let's, let's look to verse three. Therefore, the land mourns and all who dwell in it languish and also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. This, this verse starts with therefore. And what it is saying is, is basically this. Yahweh is saying to Israel, you're not faithful to this marriage covenant and as a result, look at the suffering. Look at the suffering coming upon you. None of this was out of the blue, guys. All of this was previously agreed upon by Israel, both the blessing and the curses. They, they understood these things. Deuteronomy 28, we, we read this just recently in the Bible reading plan. It records some of these blessings. Let's, let's look at it. All these blessings will come to you in abundance if you obey the Lord your God. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Your children will be blessed, as well as the produce of your soil, the offspring of your livestock, the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your mixing bowl will be blessed. You'll be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. It also records the curses, guys, and they sound awfully familiar. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the field. Your basket and your mixing bowl will be cursed. Your children will be, will be cursed, as well as the produce of your soil, the calves of your herds, the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in and cursed when you go out. These blessings and curses, guys, are all encompassing. In a similar way, verse three captures this, the totality of suffering that Israel is experiencing. The land mourns. The people languish, as do all the creatures in the sky, earth, and sea. The creation is being undone in Israel for their sin. Israel chased the cheap satisfaction of the, the culture's idols, only to end up fearing for their very lives. Guys, I need you to hear me on this one. Um, sin kills brothers and sisters sin kills running from God is suicide this is why we mourn over the lost around us this is why we pray for those that don't know Jesus sin is destructive and we see it even in our own lives Adam and Eve had a perfect garden they sinned and they got desert and death. Israel, they had the land of milk and honey, another garden of Eden as it were. They sinned and got the same. Guys, Christians, non-Christians, both. When we run from God, there are consequences. Sin is destructive. Why? Because it separates us from the holy God who is life. Think tree of garden, tree of life in the garden of Eden. God is a just God, guys. He loves us too much to let us sit in our sin. He wants us to be in relationship with him and receive life in that relationship. Every other pleasure fails. Every other God fails. I feel com compelled to say that some of you are suffering and it's, it's not a result of your sin, guys. 
I think this, this text is really clear that, that suffering here is a result of the sin of the people. Some of us are suffering because we're surrounded by a culture that is tainted with sin. We're surrounded by the pervasive sin of the world. This is, I think, true in Israel too. I don't think that every single individual in Israel at that time was given to the same idolatry that we're seeing here. There was a remnant. We see this throughout scripture. And in the same, same way, guys, that they were choking in the sin and experiencing the same sort of suffering because of the idolatry and the sin of the culture, some of us suffer. And I want you to hear that he is working and you're waiting, guys. Hope in the Lord today. Hope in the Lord. Let's continue in our text. Although Israel is the focal point of this chapter, verse four does this really interesting thing where the, the, the scene in the courtroom that we're in changes address, uh, addressees. He calls, Yahweh calls the next person to the stand and here he says, let no one contend and let none accuse for with you is my contention, O priest. For with you is my contention, O priest. The, the evil and the suffering that Israel was experiencing, God lays squarely on the shoulders of the priests. The very system that was set up to encourage and stoke the faith of the Israelites was actually becoming its greatest, the greatest impediment to its spiritual faith and vibrance. They, they didn't have engraved copies of the Bible on their night shelves, you see. They, they were reliant on the priests to know God. I think it's important that when we talk about priests, we, we understand that we're not, we're not talking about like a Catholic priest here, or even like a modern day pastor. Rather, the priesthood was set up by God at Mount Sinai to be mediators between the holy God and the unholy people. They performed daily sacrifices in order to cleanse themselves, the temple and the people, so that God could dwell with them. They also historically taught the people and instructed the people along with the prophets of Israel to walk according to the law of God. So they, they performed the sacrifices so that they could be close to God and they taught the people, they instructed the people. This was a primary feature of the Old, old Covenant given by Moses. And, and the covenant that we experience now is the new covenant under Christ, inaugurated by Christ, his life, death, resurrection. So the, the leadership that we're talking about here, the priest of the old covenant is very different from a spiritual leader in, in our day or, or a priest that you might hear of uh, in, the, in Catholicism. Let's continue with verse five. Yahweh says to the priest, you shall stumble by day the prophet also shall stumble with you by night and I will destroy your mother. Yahweh here gives the severe judgment coming to the religious leaders. Both priest and prophet will stumble day and night. Day and night, God is against them. They're gonna fall. The leaders are not exempt from the suffering the people have been experiencing. It will actually be worse. Yahweh says, I will destroy your mother. You might ask, like, wait, what, what's he going to do to my mama? Like, what, what's about to happen? 
Now, mother here should be, be seen as a, a metaphor. Hosea uses it as a metaphor throughout the book to refer to the religious system of Israel, which gives the priest its power. But God is saying, God is not saying he's going to punish their mom for their sin. Rather, he's saying, I'm tearing down your system. I'm tearing down the authority that you have. Everything you have is crumbling. Why? Verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Here it's reiterated why they're about to receive such judgment. Yahweh's people are perishing because of the priest's failure. And he is angry. It says, let's keep going in verse 6. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will forget your children. That's chilling to me. God says, because you have forgotten me, I will forget you. I will forget your kids. I will forget the most important thing to you. Your kids are not going to be the next priests. This whole thing is crumbling. Look at the way Yahweh addresses Israel here. Right at the beginning of verse 6. He says, my people. We're sitting in the middle of the chapter 4, which is a jumping into the accusations. And we know that God has called Israel previously, has analogically named one of the children of, of Gomer, not my people, saying Israel will, is not my people. But now here he's like, my people. He changes it to my people. And he's saying to the priests, my people are perishing. My people are perishing. Moments before, he's, he's laying this accusation on the people, but now there's this like compassionate pity for his people. And he's calling them his people. And he is crying out to the priest, look at the fact that my people are perishing in the sin because you are not leading them. Guys, do you understand? Do you see that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked? If you are running from God or see people, if your family members are running from God, he is not laughing and mocking and, and happy. No, he is, he is broken that people are perishing. And if that's true of you, if you have been rejecting God in any way, even if you are suffering as a result today, hear his compassionate plea to return to him. This is God's character for us. This is, the, this is the heart of Hosea. It's a compassionate plea to his people. I love you. I have set up covenant with you. I want you. Verses 6 to 10, as, as it moves through, it just sets up a series of accusations and the coming judgment as a result. He says, I reject, you rejected knowledge and failed to lead my people to know me. I reject you as priest. He says, 
You forget the law and fail to teach it to my people. I forget your children. If you look down at verse 10, you see a little glimpse of the coming judgment in what some have called the proverb of debauchery. It says, they shall eat, but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore, but not multiply. Because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom wine and new wine, which take away the understanding. The priests have ultimately forsaken God to embrace the neighboring gods in hopes of gaining protection, prosperity, purpose, love, or pleasure. But in so doing, guys, they have become more foolish. They have become like a drunken, stumbling around. Everything that they have pursued is actually failing them, and they they don't have any of the joy that they had hoped to receive. Isn't this just how sin is, guys? Isn't this just how sin is? We, we think that that thing is going to be so good. It every time leaves us feeling empty. Guys, sin never satisfies. It only kills. Jesus' words are fitting here. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. So we see it in this passage that Israel and its priests are being prosecuted by God and the priests are guilty of the greater charge. Priests and people alike have been allured into an adulterous relationship with the gods of the surrounding nations and in the end... It's not satisfied, but only left them wanting and suffering. Next month, guys, I'm going to, I get to preach on spiritual leadership. I get to some hard topics they're giving me for these first ones. Um, But I get to preach on the failure of spiritual leaders. And I could spend a lot of time there, but I I think it's important that we focus in on this first week of accusations uh, on the people. And I want to just ask the question, how do we compare to these people? What do we, how do we apply this text to ourselves today? Why was Israel even more, why are we so bent on turning away from God? And I'll just remind you of that main question, that main point. Have you replaced the knowledge of God for the knowledge of the world? Have you replaced an intimate knowledge of God with the knowledge of the world? That's kind of where we're going in this application. Scripture describes intimacy between a husband and wife with the word no. For example, Adam and Eve in the garden, it says, we are told that Adam knew his wife and they conceived. Sexual intimacy, guys, is that it's the most vulnerable It's the closest sort of relationship that a a husband and wife can have. And here we see God comparing. We see him using this, this same language. You do not know me. We see this intimate language set up for us in the book of Hosea. And I just, just so I can, uh, just to be sure that I'm not like wandering way off. I mean, we have the whole picture in Hosea of this husband, God, 
and the wife, Israel. It's a husband and a wife. And God is comparing his relationship to his people with a marriage. And he says, you do not know me. There's not this intimate relationship between us. But rather than knowing God, the people have played the whore. They've acted like a prostitute by pursuing this same kind of relationship with the gods of the nations. Church, we may, we may need to redefine our understanding of what it means to know the Lord. To know God is to have a deep close, affectionate relationship with him. Oh, I, I feel so challenged by this this week, guys. My relationship with the Lord has not been this sort of intimacy. I've been so distracted. If we do not know God, and guys, here's the big point, if we do not ongoingly know God and seek to know him more and more and more intimately, we will certainly make relationship, find ourselves replacing that knowledge, getting into relationship with something or someone, even somewhere else. One commentator writes this, and I I find it really helpful. When people do not know God, they tend to do whatever seems culturally or socially acceptable. Let me just read that again. When people do not know God, they tend to do whatever seems culturally or socially acceptable. In Hosea's day, that meant following the socially acceptable practices of the Baal temples. How could people go so wrong as to accept excessive drinking, idol worship, prostitution, and sacrifices to other to, to gods other than the Israel's God? The simple explanation is that everyone else around them was doing it. It was the cultural norm. The real problem with us may be that we are as blind to our prostitution of the faith as the Israelites are of of the Israelites of Hosea's day and the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Let me read that again. The real problem may be that we are as blind to our prostitution of the faith as the Israelites of Hosea's day and the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Israel did what they saw everyone else doing, guys. They deemed the gains of worshiping the gods of the culture more satisfying than Yahweh. Even more than that, The nation's idolatry provided them what they wanted, but in a way that enabled them to control it. It wasn't, I have to wait on God, wait on him to provide, but instead it was, I'll just go do this thing and then for sure he has to bless me. Guys, we sadly do the same thing. We ultimately deem watching that show or working those extra hours Sometimes even dating that unbelieving girl or guy. Whatever it might be, we deem it more satisfying than relationship with God in Christ. Rather than waiting on God for the good gifts he wants to give, we try to take it in our timing. 
That's like the story of my, my sin life. Probably of all of us. We try to take it in our own timing. Everything good, he's holding out before me. All the idols that I'm going to talk about the rest, the rest of this application generally are not, they're not inherently bad. But somehow, we try to take it. We try to have, have control and go for it before God is ready to open his hand to it, to us. Rather than waiting on him, we try to take it in our timing. Let me ask you today, church, where are your idols? Where are your idols? What are you in a deeper love relationship with than with God? Is the world shaping you because you find it more pleasurable than, than God? Are you seeking earthly prosperity while forgetting your soul's need for God's nourishing presence? Forgetting the, that He is the very one who opens up His hand to give the good gifts? Is the comfort and pleasure of food? Or even Netflix, guys? Or pornography? Would we rather have that than the thoughts of God? Here's the good news. If we're, if we're in Christ, we've been set free. We have been set free and empowered by the Spirit to pursue God in a way that, that Israel didn't have. This is why Paul is, is able to, in, in chapter 12 of, of Romans, after all of this material about what God has done for us in Christ, bringing us to righteousness, he then says, he gives all these commands, and one of the things he says is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the renewal of mind? How do we renew our minds, church? Sam just gave an exhortation. Seeking the Father's voice. Personal time with God in prayer. Listening to him in his word. Worshiping him individually and corporately like we do today. In DNAs, guys, being reminded daily of our need for him. Being reminded of the gospel in our missional communities. But renewing mind, renewing your mind, brothers and sisters, it doesn't come easily. It comes with cost. It comes with, we have to say no to some things to be able to get more of God. That's the whole, the whole point today. Here are some good testing questions for us. What am I seeking to know most? Brothers and sisters, what today are you seeking to know Intimately, this intimate knowledge that we've been talking about. What are you seeking to know most? What if I followed you around for a week? Or you followed me around? What would we, what would we see? Would it be daily Bible reading or, or prayer? Would it be the things that I just mentioned? Or, or would we find us gravitating towards the voices of culture who will kind of fulfill 
those pleasures that we're, we're seeking. Sex, money, fame. What is the topic? What is, what is the subject that you consume yourself with? Is it, is it the stock market? Is it business? Is it any number of things? I, what are you consuming yourself with? What do you want to know? Friends, I just want to call us. There, there, is, there are things that last in this world. There is knowledge that lasts in this world. And there is knowledge that is passing away. And, and when we are saying, we want you to be in this book. <laughs> it's because we are getting to know the eternal, satisfying God. <laughs> We're getting to know who our maker is. We're getting to know who we are. <laughs> this book is infinitely valuable. We're, we're calling you to something lasting. Whereas the, the latest thing that Trump did or, or the stock market or whatever, whatever it is you're seeking, the, the Lakers scores or the, yeah, whatever it is. There are lasting things and there are things that perish and fall away. And we want to call you to a lasting knowledge of God. We want to call you to know him and be shaped by him. How have seemingly harmless things, even like these, replaced knowledge of God in your life? I'm not sure how, how well I've set this up today, but, but I know, at least I hope, you can all, all identify that there, there are some things, there are some ways in which we've sought to know other things more than we've sought to know God. I hope that I hope the spirit is identifying some things in your heart today uh, that you've made more important that you've wanted to to know more than God. We're all guilty of this on some level, but here's the good news, brothers and sisters here's why we here's why we preach the gospel to you. Adam and Eve knew God. The option of knowing good and evil by eating the, of the tree of knowledge was before them and they chose the way of destruction. The option was before Israel. They chose the way of destruction. The option is before us. We all have chosen the way of destruction. But Jesus, but Jesus, our Lord, he never chose that path. In fact, he chose to always seek lasting joy, lasting knowledge in God the Father. Friends, Jesus, our great high priest, the one who never fails us, he kept seeking the Father to the end. And what did it result for him? It resulted in resurrection life. This is what we want for you, resurrection life. We then can trust that he will always lead us there. He will always lead us to knowing God if we follow him. Jesus, not, not like the priests, he never takes from us Greedily, He doesn't revel in our sin and, and he's, not, he's not greedy to watch us sin so that he can gain. No, instead, he gives to us generally, showing us more of himself. And when we see more of Jesus, we see more of the Father. 
We learn what the Father loves. We learn, we learn in looking at Jesus what the Father hates. And in seeing these things, we come to know life. Even more, we can be reminded today that Jesus took that place on the stand. We were in that courtroom. But Jesus stood there on our behalf when we were guilty. And he took the punishment. He took the pain, the suffering that you and I deserved on the cross. So that we might have everlasting life. So we might have the, res- the resurrection life that he won for us. Family, I look back on my life and I see it so clearly. The seasons of life where I've been most faithful and most full of joy have been the times where I've been seeking connection with God. A a daily connection. Not just morning even, but just hungry for Him. Hungry to know God. Hungry to go after God. I was mesmerized by the fireworks the other night. <laughs> David and, and Cade and, and Deanna and some of us, we were, we were there. And even William, little William, he was just mesmerized by these things. And I couldn't help but think to myself as I looked around at the crowds. These people, even myself, were mesmerized by everything but God. When God is the maker of all this beauty that is before us. When God is the one who called us to, to know him and to love him and to be in a relationship with him. We've been stolen away. We've been stolen away to know another God. We've been stolen away. We've heard the voices of culture. We've heard, we've heard other things saying, come here, I have something good for you. I have, a, I have satisfaction for you. I have joy right here. You can control it. You can have it when you want. And yet it's, it's causing them to perish. You see the, the longing in people's eyes. You look all around. You see that longing. And guys, I remember that feeling when I was 20, 21. In that state I was talking about earlier. And I've even felt it, even as a Christian. I've felt it when I've been slow to spend time with God. I've given time to everything but Him. I feel that emptiness. And Jesus says, come and feast on me. Hosea is all about the redeeming love of God that calls us back to him. This is a warning passage. It's a hard passage, guys. It's not fun for me to say, have you replaced the knowledge of God for the love of the world, a knowledge of the world? But I'm afraid this is so easily done by every single one of us. The most mature Christians fall subtly into that trap. I just want to call you, along with myself, I've been repenting this week. I want to call us all, People's Church, to seek God's face above all else. That he would be the one that we want to know. That he would be the one that we would want to hear. I want us to just be identifying that this week. What, what are the things that I, that I want to know more than God? Have you replaced intimate knowledge of God for knowledge of the world? If there are any in here that don't yet know Jesus, I just want to call you to come and know everlasting life. Know Jesus. 
The scriptures say that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Failure to know him, however, is a path to destruction. We saw that in the text today. And that's not what we want for any of you. We, we call you to come and receive life. We exist as a church to help you know God. So we preach this Bible so that you'll know him and we call you to, to know him daily. And together we, we want to help other people, that, especially those who are far from him, know the Lord. Amen. That is our purpose. That is why we exist as a church, to know God and help make him known. I'm going to pray and we'll sing some more. Lord, you see how easily we fall in this, this trap that your people Israel fell into in failing to know you, Lord Jesus, in failing to know Yahweh. They went after another God. And as a result, the people perished. Lord Jesus, all around us we see suffering. In our own lives we feel suffering. Some a direct result of sin, some not a result of sin. But God, we feel the effects of sin and its death. And God, we want to know you who are life. We don't want it to be said of us that we didn't know you. We don't want it to be said of us, depart from me, I never knew you. Lord, instead, we want to be brought into that everlasting joy where we will look upon your face. And we want to bring as many people who we can with us to know God and escape the wrath of God. Lord, help us today. Help all people's church to not fall subtly into the traps of the world and give ourselves to idolatry. But help us, Lord, help us, Lord, to seek you intimately, to know you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this word from your book. We receive it today. We, we stand under it. Help us all to grow in the knowledge of you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.